Good morning, Jim. AJ, we decided to do this in the morning. Yes, and I... I listened to our last podcast, and I was like, we're just sleeping. (laughs) Not today, man. Not today. No. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, everybody, welcome again to Contextualize, and uh, we will be in 2 Corinthians again, finishing up chapter 1 and getting into chapter 2. Um, But I had a a thought, I was was thinking about this this morning, and just wanted to throw a question at you that you have no idea that's coming. Um, And I'll I'll preface it with a thought first. Um, So we meet, uh, as many of you all know, we meet every week, Jim and Bill and myself, to do our uh, preaching prep uh, word work where we're we're in the text about three weeks ahead. And um, a lot of what we do is, is one of us will lead that, and it's just looking at that passage of how did the author structure this, what's the context of it, what's he saying, and how do we begin to think about preaching it. And um, I led this last week and uh, was just, and then you led it this week, Jim. And I was helped with mine last week, and we're in First Samuel there, versus yours this week of seeing how to structure a narrative and uh, just following, even thinking of a, a plot diagram type of um, outline for that. And that's something I didn't do in mine last week, but then we talked about it, and it was really helpful. Mm-hmm. And then this week, as you read it, as you led yours, um, that's how you outline. Um, Chapter, Chapter three. Two, three. Um, so all of that to, to get at this question. So, you know, last time in Contextualize, we did Acts, which is, is narrative. Right now we're in 2 Corinthians, which is a letter written from a man to a group of people. And so just what, what are some just kind of first thoughts on, okay, as we're reading a letter now, what are, what are some yeah. thoughts that we bring into thinking about structure or understanding or reading? Like, how do we read a letter well? That's good. That's really helpful. So maybe paralleling the first Samuel discussion, if you go through a plot diagram, what's the conflict in a story? What's the climax? What's the resolution? So we want to, if we can really understand the climax of a story, it's going to help us really understand what's the main takeaway for the reader. And this is true outside of biblical reading, right? But it does help us a lot. Now, when you're reading a letter where someone's writing sentences and is using particular nouns and verbs and participles um, and participial phrases, yeah. it becomes more grammatical, yeah. I think, than what we've done in narrative. Yeah. And so, you know, this is something that I I find is less thrilling you know, as a student. Wait, I really yeah, enjoy narrative. I've, I've told everybody I love narrative. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. but what's clear about a letter like this is the words, the actual word itself and the words that qualify it Mm-hmm. have really been chosen by the author to drive home a point. Yeah. Um, and so when we're reading a letter with Paul, of course, we want to start out like any letter. We'll start out and read the beginning and maybe the end. What's the intro? What's the conclusion? You know, what are the, what's the context of the person writing? Yeah. You know, where's Paul writing from? What's the situation of the readers? Some of which we have to piece together by the content of the letter. Yeah. But once we start digging in, which we'll do a little bit more in today's text, I think we need to look for sentences that Paul is either going to give a command uh-huh. Or he's going to give a statement, and then does he give reasons to qualify that statement? And yeah. why does he use those reasons versus other reasons? And yeah. we start to actually get into the mind of the apostle who wrote the letter. Yeah. Um, and so we actually do see in today's passage that we'll look at that he's essentially still setting the setting for yeah. his letter. Yeah, right. Um, right. He's going to talk about, why. Well, here's why I wanted to come to you, and I didn't come to you, but here's what I did do. And yeah. so... Again, we're tracking with what's the what's the actual content of the author. Maybe what's the motive if they gives a reason, yeah. and then what's the anticipated response that he's trying to 
draw out of the recipient. Yeah. And so we're, we need to look for all those things. And yeah. what we would say in our preaching workshops is if a letter is written to Corinth, then we need to be careful not to just read it as a letter written to Christ's community in Johnson City. Right. We yeah. have to go through yeah. Corinth in order to, in get, order to get to Johnson City. Yeah. And then yeah. even more than that, which we get a longer conversation, we have to understand that in Paul writing to Corinth, what he really wanted them to do is know things about Jesus. Yeah. And so we really need to consider the content for Corinth, the content that's Christ-centered, and then come out of that and say, well, now, how is this Christ-centered content for us? Yeah. And so that makes it a little, it's similar yeah. to narrative. Yeah. Because we still want to go through the gospel of Jesus before we apply it heavy into our lives. But what's what's the audience's situation? That becomes real important in yeah. a letter. Yeah. So. Yeah, that, that's really helpful. And, and even as, after I asked the question, one thing I thought of is that, um, even in a narrative, um, it's true of Acts or First Samuel. I mean, the narrative was was originally written from a person to an audience, and and you know not in the same format as a letter, but in the you know, yeah. So let me from somebody this, for somebody. When you do preaching, you want to show the fruit of your labor, not the sweat of your labor. So not everything in the study needs to end up in a sermon. And sometimes people probably think we get that wrong and have too much stuff in the sermon. But let me say this uh, to help. The book of 1 Samuel, for example, who's the audience of 1 Samuel? There's some cues in the book. I didn't bring it up last Sunday, but it's all the way in chapter 27. You have a statement that David was given a town called Ziklag. Uh And the narrator in 1 Samuel chapter 27 says, Ziklag has been a city of the kings of Judah to this day. Yeah. Little hint that means the original readers in the book of, of the book of 1 Samuel it was already a divided kingdom yeah because it, this is one of the cities of the kings of Judah yeah there weren't kings of Judah till after Solomon and right. so we we know that this has to be probably written pretty close to when the divided kingdom started yeah because yeah. you have first person testimonies that are going to amplify all these stories yeah but it's not before then it can't yeah. be because the narrator says this city belonged to the kings of Judah right and that didn't happen until after Solomon's successor. So um, there was an original audience. That means that the audience of 1 Samuel, they were actually in the middle of constantly choosing which king would be their leader. Yeah, as they hear about. As they read a story about God's anointing Samuel to be the one, or well, raising up Samuel to be the one who would anoint Saul and then anoint yeah. David. But in the back of the reader's mind, you might yeah. even have, what kind of a king should we choose? Yeah. Yeah. Which is, we're not going to get into that a ton, but that's right. an important thing yeah. about the audience in a narrative. Yeah. The audience in a letter like this, a little bit more direct. And in fact, our text today tells us kind of what Paul is thinking yeah. about. We, actually, we learn a lot about Paul and them in this as chapter. we read the letters. Yeah. Um, most letters. That, you know, some letters don't have as much in that. But Well, good. Thanks for, for sharing some thoughts on that. We'll, um, we'll jump on in. Um, so last week we talked about really the big idea of, of God... God's comfort. He's the God of all comfort and that we experience his comfort. And, and one of the things, well, first we get to experience it, but then we get to pass it on as well. Uh, but then he, he jumped or he, he continues to talk. And um, let's just go ahead and go to the, the fact that, right, this podcast is called Contextualize. And the reason that it's called Contextualize um, is that we always need to be reading scripture in its context. To understand it, how it's written, who it's written to, what it's saying in in its literary, historical, biblical context, and then how do we apply it to our context? Well, one of the things that Paul says here in this 
passage that we'll look at today is a fairly well-known verse um, where it says, all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. In Christ, it's always yes. All, all the promises of God find their yes in him. But what's interesting is the context of that statement. Yeah, so, so. This, is a, this is a well-known verse, at least it's often said very confidently by believers. It's verse 20, or you could, I mean, it's kind of 19 and 20 in there. But to the surprise of us as we read it, this is not about all the promises of Jesus. The context is not. Yeah. Surprisingly, the context is about Paul's travel plans. Right. <laughs> You're like, what? Yeah, this guy. He's like a walking theologian, but he just goes from telling them, I, I, I wanted to come see you on my way to Macedonia. And then I thought about coming on the way back, but here's the good reason I didn't. And then he goes into theology about yeah. every promise. <laughs> yes. And it's you know, and it's it's kind of funny at first, but I think it is. It's also helpful um, to see that. And even you know, one thing as I read this earlier, um, if we go back to the end of First Corinthians sixteen, he says, "I'll visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through there, and then perhaps I'll stay with you." And then here he says, "Well, I wanted to come to you before Macedonia, and then I wanted to come to you after. wasn't able to." And then verse 17, was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? You know, is, is Paul just kind of wishy-washy? So he and, wants to make sure they know. I'm not a yes and no guy. Yeah. I don't say yes and then mean no. I don't say no and then mean yep. yes. And then he just gets kind of enraptured up in this thought of we're, we're people for whom our yes is always yes because all of the things we would say yes to have been guaranteed to us in Jesus. Yeah. And they're like, okay. I mean, really, it's amazing. It's an amazing thing. <laughs> yeah, and he, I mean, uh, the the phrase that stands out to me at the very beginning in verse eighteen, he says, "As surely as God is faithful." So, as surely as the fact that God is faithful to all of His promises, which are now yes in Christ, and we know that, and we can, right? We can count on God for any word, every word that He's uttered. So, Paul says, "As surely as God's faithful, our word to you has been true as well." And so it, it's just, it, I think it's helpful for me to see that Paul is staking his faithfulness to what he's told them to, like, this is true because of how God's faithfulness is true yeah. and how that's impacted me. Yeah, yeah. He's consumed by the calling that Jesus has put on his life, and he's consumed by the faithfulness of God to have promised everything in Christ. Yeah. And that consumption of his mind and his body and his time and his schedule it just oozes out of him in this now if i go back to the part we were we, we didn't look at last week but or maybe we did a little bit but verse 12 and following yeah. there's something about paul wanting to convey to the corinthians that we behaved in simplicity and sincerity with you like we're, we're it wasn't something that we tried to use earthly wisdom and sort of i'm not trying to be a smooth suave leader right or church planter who comes back and engages you. I, we wanted to behave in just simple obedience and faith yeah. as the apostles and as the ministers of the gospel God's given to us. And so he kind of conveys that at first. Then he goes into his travel plans and says, I'm not just wishy-washy. I did want to come to you. And then he says what he says about Jesus because God's faithfulness is ultimately the most you know, pinnacle reality to Paul and to the church. But it's not just Jesus. And we were talking mm -hmm. about it right before we got into the podcast is is he goes from Jesus to say some things about God the Father then uh -huh. you go to say some things about the Holy Spirit yeah so right. he goes really Trinitarian all of a sudden he yeah. just again gets swept away yeah and he says every promise finds their yes in Jesus and then verse 21 now let's talk about God the Father he established 
us with you in Christ, and he's anointed us. So our calling is from God. God gave us to you. He gave you to us, and he's anointed us to this calling. And then he goes on and says, we have the seal of his Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. in our hearts as a guarantee of what? Of God's faithfulness. Yeah. So we'll see this, I think, you've already shown, we're going to probably look at it again next week, but you have Paul just go in and out of the practical or the mundane or the daily things, yeah. and suddenly, I, I, this is a bad parallel, but I spend a lot of time, and I love talking to our business leaders in our church, because they just have other things that are, I mean, so does every stay-at-home mom or teacher or anybody, so don't, right. it's not, but I enjoy talking to business leaders, because the complications of management intermixing with operational performance um, and just what's the return on investment of, of their time, of other people's time. And it fascinates me. Picture someone who's a business leader, and I hope this is true of the men and women in our church that are like in those roles, but just going in and out of the practical things of what we have to do. Yeah. We've got to close the books today. We've got to change the logistics for the delivery of that product tomorrow. And yet right. in and out of that person's speech, anybody who works with them or is in their office is just like, what did he just say about Jesus? Yeah. What did she just say about Jesus? Yeah. The Holy Spirit's a guarantee of what? Yeah. And this is how, now I know Paul's writing to a church, not to his employees, but this is basically what he's doing. Yeah. He's just, he's in and out of the mundane, the practical, and then the deep theological treasures that he writes. Yeah, and that's, I mean, maybe we, we tend to see a divide there that's not there, right? Between the practical, mundane, whatever your day-to-day, week-to-week looks like, um, and the reality of who God is and what He's doing, like th- those, actually aren't separate. But we tend to think we tend to isolate them uh, yeah, from definitely. each other. Um, but yeah, I think one of the things we see here is even Paul's travel plans and his commitment to them is based upon the very character of God yes. and the redemptive activity yes. of Him, um, of all of that He's done in Christ and given His Spirit. Uh, it's just really instructive. Well, then you see Paul's maturing, I think, in, in the moment of even why God didn't have him go to Corinth from Macedonia. It's the very yeah. end of chapter 1, verse 23. The, he kind of changed his tone a little bit. He says, God's, my, God's the witness. I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. So as soon as God made it clear that he wasn't going to go see them on the way to or from Macedonia, then God made it clear to Paul, or Paul felt urged to, to again, abstain from coming. Yeah. Don't force it. Yeah. I don't need to force coming to you because I know that I didn't. If I if I come, um, well, at the beginning of chapter three says I made up my mind not to make another painful visit. Right, he and knew. So, right, there's some sort of conflict and pain and rebuke. I don't, you know. Well, and maybe we should get into that a little bit. I think the point I was going to say is that first thing he says is God's faithful, and I wasn't vacillating when I didn't come. Then he goes forward and say, now God can be a witness against me if I'm lying, that as I, in some regard, respond to the Spirit's leadership of my life, I chose not to come to you to make another painful visit. Yeah. Um, I wasn't going to force it. And he, even though he says it, I made up my mind in chapter 2, verse yeah. 1. Um, so what's going on here? Let me just show you some other parts of this book. So if we go to chapter 7, this helps us understand a little bit the early part of chapter 2. Um, in chapter 7... Uh, Paul references that, uh, where is it? I had it earlier. Oh, in verse 8, Paul, Paul acknowledges that he wrote a letter that made them grieve. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and it, they were grieved into repenting. You're right. 
And so we know that there's a letter that he refers to in this book. Some have seen it to be the letter of 1 Corinthians. It does have some direct rebukes and some right. things that cause grief and pain because he says, you're so divided, you know. Yeah, um, right. Others, and maybe the more dominant view, is that there's a letter we don't have. Right. It was the two. painful letter. Yeah. And we have that reference in chapter 7. We also have a reference here in chapter 2 when he says... I chose not to come because I knew I didn't want to cause you grief by another visit. And so he says in verse 4 of chapter 2, So I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to know, to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. So twice in once in 2 and once in chapter 7, right. we have him say, This letter, I agonized over it, and, and I chose to do that instead of coming to see you. So uh, is it First Corinthians? Is it the the unknown letter? Um, I probably lean toward it's a letter we don't have. Yeah. Because uh, I don't think First Corinthians is just in the tone of grieving yeah. them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But even so, it's really important to see his pastoral heart here. Yeah, and you know, thinking about the whole section that we've been thinking, and obviously, he's, I mean, he's defending himself of of this idea of not vacillating because there's probably that idea being circulated in Corinth. Um, or at least he, he supposes that that's there. Uh, that if he was supposed to come twice and he didn't show up, you know, what, what does that say about him? And wh- where he goes, though, here is he actually says, well, the, the Lord is, is the one orchestrating all these things. And I actually didn't come not because of my own lack of character. I actually didn't come out of concern for you, out of what would be best for you, not wanting to cause you pain, and even as I wrote you a letter, it was out of love for you and out of anguish. And it's just, I think it's very interesting in verse 4 where he talks about this, this letter that he wrote was, it was painful. It was out of his own anguish, but it was also out of love. And so just as, as one who's been in ministry pastorally for however long you have, um, tell me what, what, what does that make you think of or how, how can... How does that relate to ministry for you of thinking of like Paul is, is in anguish and seeking to love and care for these people? I mean, I have to be personal and say that it's the dual things that he's doing here that set it apart from being a selfish, fearful anguish. And I think ministers of the gospel don't want to talk yeah. about that too often in public because we want to be strong. And we want to be able to yeah. rely on the faithfulness of God as Paul yeah. does. But it's so easy to say... Well, my anguish when the phone rings or when someone texts and says, Jim, will you call? It's just been a lifelong journey for me saying, okay, what do I, why, what's going on here? Yeah. And I feel internal angst. Is it because they're frustrated with something about the local church? Is it because um, they're in a relationship that needs reconciliation and distress? And so it gives me anguish because here we go, another complex shepherding situation where people kind of are stodgy in their views they're going to dig their heels in and we as elders get to take this long journey and i wish people would just trust matthew 18 go forward and then call us when the time's right yeah no that's just selfish anguish yeah so i've had a lot of selfish anguish in my life sometimes i couldn't even put a thumb on it i didn't know like why am i feeling sick to my stomach is it the anguish for the churches that paul describes maybe but it could be selfish anguish of just oh this is too difficult and sometimes you know i'd rather work at a preschool you know, and that's harsh. I don't. So I'm not talking about Christ community now, but I'm looking back over the years. You yeah. know, um, I've told you all some of the funny stories. Uh, you know, I'll never forget being in a restaurant in Pennsylvania during an election year, 
And I went and bought pizza and drinks for two guys. They were buddies. And I sat down and just said, hey, you keep talking to me about you. And you keep talking to me about you. And so I thought we should just all get together. And they thanked me. And then I said, I've already paid for the bill. And I left. I was like, this is, I had anguish. I remember that meeting like it was yesterday. I was so nervous to get two strong personalities together in a room and, and realized over the course of time, like, Holy Spirit, you're, this is yours to hold, right? But much of my anguish, especially in those church planning years, were, it could have been a selfish anguish of, I just don't want to, or I just can't. I think in God's kindness, he's working us toward this model where Paul says, my anguish was out of love for you. Yeah. Very different than my anguish was out of ang- anxiousness for me or fear of you know, fear of you. Yeah. Um, if I could say, without it being too obvious, I, I hope people listening to this think of the letter we wrote last week. Uh-huh. Pastor Bill and I drafted a letter. The elders looked at it. It was mostly Pastor Bill and I who wrote it. It was, well, it was exclusively we who wrote it. And I had some people come see me Sunday and just say, hey, I could sense the anguish in that letter. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I will tell you that when I went home, I wasn't worried about how it would be received. Because it was sent out of love. Yeah. You know? And yeah. so if something doesn't get received well, then we'll we'll navigate that. But it was sent out of love. And so, yeah, AJ, it's a journey. 20 years and hopefully easily 20 more years. Um, Paul's putting these things together is a huge deal. Yeah. 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 And... Uh... You know, we've often said in uh, Kristen and I in different conversations in marriage said that often a, uh, it's easier to be angry than sad um, or easier to be angry than in anguish, if, if we could use it in that sense. And I think it's true in personal relationships. You know, if somebody does something that you're <laughs> wish they hadn't have done or whatever, it's easy to just be just be angry um, rather than more to be kind of grieved yeah. and um, just burdened and in loving but just to react in anger um, and I think that's easy again both ministry but also and I'm guessing as people are listening they can relate to that in work home friends that kind of no thing. you're right I mean I would say grieving is a posture of maturity or yeah. maturing yeah because uh, you know grieving can't be connected to slander and gossip yeah I mean it, it or it becomes slander and gossip instead yeah. of just grieving right um, but grieving can sometimes be done in silence. It can be with somebody else. Saying, Would you pray for me? Like, I'm, I'm not okay. Yeah. Um, and there's something there that's causing me anguish. And either I do know what it is and I need to just sit with it, or I don't know what it is. I need to ask God to show me why. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Corey's done this really well. She's married to a verbal processor. She's got children that are verbal processors. But she has often pointed us back to Mary, Jesus' mother. Uh-huh. Just that part of the, the the gospels where you know Mary pondered this in her heart. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's a beautiful maturing thing when people in anguish ponder their anxiety and anguishness anguish yeah. in their heart as opposed to anger's a a lack of pondering and yeah. it becomes an attacking of yeah. one kind or another. Yeah. Um, so Paul's now now by the way Paul in this book in chapter 10, 11, I mean, he's going to get to the point where he says, I, I got to defend my ministry. Yeah. And I, I, I'm not afraid to defend it. Right. So while we don't need to get into that now, we need to know he could take a total other tact. Yeah. yeah. If he, if he felt led to, he could start in total self-defense and anger at these false teachers, especially those who are trying to influence the people of Corinth to say, Paul's not legit. Yeah. Paul vacillates. Paul's yeah. weak. Yeah. And instead of starting and saying, 
let me go after those who are accusing me, he starts by saying, I love you. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty powerful. D- deeply, anguishly. Yeah. And, and you know, just to clarify my thought earlier, um, as, as you were talking, I was thinking of this. It's, it's not to say that anger is bad or, <laughs> or we should never be angry. I mean, just go read Galatians. Um, Paul is angry, but rightfully. And, and I guess what, what I'm more thinking of is, is our what tends to be very selfish anger. Yeah. Um, but here, like, what we see is, is you know, anger is not what's, what's he's talking about. He's talking about anguish of heart, affliction, many tears. He wrote um, not to cause them pain, but to let them know that, that he abundantly loves them. So that's just that's helpful to see again that relationship that's going to color and, and show yep. up throughout this letter. Just then to use context, if he tells us there's another letter he wrote and he wanted the words to accomplish something, back to our original question about how you study a letter, he's saying the words of my previous letter were the best way that God's Spirit led me to minister to you. Yeah, yeah. What is that saying about this letter? These words are carefully chosen. And they're meant to accomplish a purpose for the people of Corinth. And we'll yeah. learn from that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think for time, we should pause there instead of getting into verse 5 and following. Yeah. Or is there, yeah. Okay. Well, any kind of final thoughts? No. Here on this? No, it's, it, this helps. We didn't get into it as much as I think we both wanted last time. So now we kind of see the posture of the, the, the author mm-hmm. as well as the situation on the reader a little bit better yeah. and then it we're not far from some real direct gospel centered teaching he's going to do in this letter right yeah yeah, yeah. well we'll uh, see you guys next week sounds good have a great week